Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. This is Aaron. And this is Paul. And welcome back to another very exciting episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. We apologize for uh, being late with episodes four and five, uh, simply for the fact that, uh, you know, one of us will go unnamed was out of town and unavailable. Uh, You know, I I don't want to point fingers. I don't want to blame anybody. But, uh, you know, let's just say that somebody did not make themselves available for the podcast recording. Well, to be fair, uh-huh. I did make myself available and we did try. However, Skype disagreed with our attempts. That is true. That is true. We, we were we were all prepared for a timely recording of episode four. And uh, uh, sadly, sadly, Skype was was not cooperating. We had a tremendous amount of lag and break up, but but you know we're back, and what we're going to do is we're going to give you uh, a combined episode of episodes four and five because you know as far as I'm concerned, Paul, if Star Trek Discovery can combine episodes one and two, we can combine episodes four and five. Ugh, there in your face, Star Trek Discovery. That's what I say. Bam. I, you know uh, what I think we didn't do is we didn't torture animals enough to get Skype to work for us. <laughs> well, you know, you know why, Paul? Because the butcher's knife doesn't give a damn. Not a single damn has no dams to give about the lamb's cry. Uh, apparently, so uh, you know, there we the episodes four and five are are actually pretty closely tied together. So I'm kind of glad that we're talking about them together. Um, because it helps paint one unified picture, which is regarding the 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 animal in question. Um, you know, th- this is the tardigrade. Um, it is kind of a key piece of both episodes four and five of Star Trek Discovery. They kind of tie together into one story um, as to how the the Discovery uses that animal for um, what's the what's the 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 process that they use to that the animal for well it's it's to uh to fuel their uh their uh their jump drive right you know to to jump drive to, yeah to function as the navigator there what they needed was a stage three guild navigator because you know you get them into the spice chamber paul you see and 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 the spice is is you know the spice must flow and the reason why the spice must flow is that it fuels that interstellar travel that we all need. And against my better judgment, I like this Duke. <laughs> I, I feel like you're referring to the wrong franchise here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I the whole time that they've got the tardigrades stuck in that little chamber, I'm like, 
well, that's a guild navigator, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> you know, straight, straight, not even straight out of, of Frank Herbert's Dune, but straight out of uh, David Lynch's Dune. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was very interesting how at a time of war, the uh, the uh, uh, Starfleet is, is OK with uh, slavery. You know, because, you know, they, they do believe that there is a potential that this could be a sentient creature. Um, but, you know, that's OK. It's time of war. You do what you got to do. It's OK to subjugate another species for your for your own ends to, uh, you know, it, because it's a time of war. So just yeah. saying. And so we're going to kind of talk about both of these episodes. So we're talking about The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry, as well as Choose Your Pain, which is this week's episode that premiered. And I, I think we kind of talk about them as one unit because it helps my brain to not have to separate the two episodes um, because uh, what, what, you know, in, in episode four, it's discovered that this tardigrade, the beast that was um, mutilating or killing, I should say, Klingons in episode three, which we talked about in our last episode, context is for Kings, um, that this animal uh, is the key to their jump drive um, by you, by basically using this animal. They, I don't, the science doesn't really make sense, but by using this animal um, and it, it, its ability to co- to communicate or interact with these spores that they have on the ship, um, they can essentially teleport the ship to anywhere at any point. And so, um, you know, it, it, at the end of episode four or during episode four, they successfully used it. By the time we get to episode five, Starfleet has now gotten involved and is aware of how the jump drive works and looking to find more tardigrades or more in that species in order to use them for their own jump drives, which, um, you know, to your point, Aaron, kind of not the Starfleet that I'm familiar with. Yeah. The, and this is what I find frustrating about this show is they, you know, this Starfleet is much darker. It is a Starfleet that, that, resembles something more out of Star Trek into darkness, uh, some, some aspects of, of enterprise and even, you know, some of deep space nine, when you're talking about like section 31, that kind of thing. But what I, what I find disturbing is that the, this, this series takes place, uh, 10 years before, uh, the original series a year before the, the events that take place in, uh, the original series pilot, the cage, right? The Christopher Pike ship. Um, and you know, the Federation was a much more enlightened sort of entity in those episodes. And so it bothers me how just cutthroat Starfleet's willing to be and how they just, you know, release this, this guy, Captain Lorca to be just as, as cutthroat as he needs to be. It's it's really disturbing and and has a I have a hard time syncing it up with uh, what we know about Star Trek. Well, I have a couple of thoughts in, in, in specifically referencing that point. Um, you know, it, it is revealed in this week's episode, "Choose Your Pain," that Lorca was previously uh, captain of another ship, and it's revealed that rather than let his crew get captured um, during the Battle of the Binary Stars that we saw in episode two, rather than let them get captured and um, tortured by the Klingons, he, he, he basically blew up his entire crew um, to, to save them from a life of torture and humiliation at the hands of the Klingons. And then at the end of the episode, uh, th- 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 we're going to spoil the, the ever-loving hell out of these episodes, um, but Commander Lorca 
who is the engineer on board. Um, I'm sorry, Stamets, Commander Stamets, who is the engineer on board. Um, he he uses himself rather than the tardigrade, right? He injects himself with the tardigrade's DNA, uses himself to power the jump drive and save the day. And in the very final moments, you've seen episode five, right? I'm not like spoiling anything for you. <laughs> no, you're not. Okay, okay. Just wanted to be sure. Um, so at the end of the episodes, you know, they, they show him and he's interacting with his, um, his I guess, husband or boyfriend. I, I don't think it's ever really clarified um, who, who, who I know it's the doctor, but I don't know if it's clarified what their specific relationship is. Um, and he walks away from the mirror and his reflection takes another minute before walking away. Right. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what does that mean? Because perhaps, perhaps, Aaron, perhaps the reason we have so many issues with the characters in this Star Trek Discovery series is that we're looking at the Mirror Universe. Just throwing that out there. Maybe we are in the Mirror Universe now. Well, I mean, that's certainly a possibility. But if you're if you're following the the strictures of canon, the mirror universe has already gone undergone its changes, so it would already be much darker than it actually is. But that fair, doesn't mean that point. it's not some other alternate universe, you know. Um, hard to say, <laughs> right? I mean, because the rules seem to be thrown out the window. Um, but yeah, I wondered the same thing when you know when engineer guy you know walked out of the bathroom and his image is still there in the uh, in the mirror. Very odd. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out. What that could possibly mean, it see, you know, I think I think what that's telling us is that the the laws of physics are right out the right out the window, right? Because I mean, how could that happen unless the laws of physics have just been completely discarded based on what they're doing? If they have somehow broken the world or the universe or that sector of space, so th that's what I suspect it means. Um, I'm sure we have some some deeper impl implications coming up on that. Um, you know, back to uh, episode four, I was one of the things that I had been kind of, of, of kicking around my head is that, you know, we hadn't seen Captain Giorgio's body right from when she uh, was stabbed on the Klingon ship in the second episode. And I was thinking, well, you know. Maybe she's still alive. You know, maybe, maybe we're going to see her. Maybe she's a, a prisoner of the Klingons and they're, you know, working her over for information. But no, no, they ate her. I, <laughs> I mean, it really makes it hard to uh, to to bring Captain Giorgio back when they talk about eating, eating the, the fallen captain, peeling the flesh off of her skull and enjoying it. Um yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you know, I I think that that if you're if you're going to be talking trash as a Klingon to the Federation, you can just always say, "Hey, I crapped your captain." Well, they were hungry, and she was available. In times <laughs> of war, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry, Aaron. That's true. That's true. It's it, this is this is true. And I'm sure, you know, that, that they, they probably did some things to stretch the meal. They probably, you know, they probably uh, had a little crock pot meal there thing, you know, maybe, maybe some kind of casserole, a nice soup, you know, some, uh, some dry rub. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think you could have a whole list of Klingon recipes for the preparation of Captain Georgia. I would to like prepare to prepare man on a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or to cook man. I, how <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I, I think that uh, that uh, that's something that we'll see on the uh, the Food Network of the 23rd century. 
Sign me up for that. I, I'm very interested yeah, yeah, yeah. in that. <laughs> <laughs> so can can we? You know, I'm I'm going to jump ahead, Aaron. I'm going to jump okay, ahead. Jump ahead because something's very important to me. Very important to me. So they dropped a couple of f bombs in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. Yes, they did. And I am so torn on this. You know, Paul, I, I I'm I struggle with it as well. Um, you know, I understand why you're torn because I'm I'm kind of back and forth on it. But uh, you know, I think where I land is that if you're going to go for a TVMA rating, I'd really prefer some nudity. Um, I, I just I I, <laughs> I that's where I I'd prefer that the MA rating land. But uh, I, I guess that's okay too. Uh, you know, I. When you look at the history of Star Trek, if you look at Star Trek IV, for instance, they seem to indicate that we don't swear much in the 23rd century, right? Uh, you know, certainly we've seen dams and hells in uh, Star Trek over the years. But uh, according to Star Trek IV, when they're walking around San Francisco, you know, they're very awkward in, the, in their swearing, you know, double dumbass on you, that kind of thing. However, you know, we do see that uh, Data swears when the Enterprise is about to crash uh, in uh, uh, Star Trek Generations. He goes, shit, you know. Yep. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn on it. We've never heard them say fuck in a, in a Star Trek uh uh, film before, but you know, eh, I, I, people have been saying fuck for hundreds and hundreds of years. I have a hard time believing it's going to go away in the 23rd century. So, uh, you know, and I keep saying 23rd century because that's when this is set, not when the next generation was set in the 24th century. So I, I, I it feels, I, it feels honest to me, I, but it, what, what it doesn't feel is organic to Star Trek. And that's what just seemed a little weird. It was like it was such this giant bruised thumb sitting out there that, you know, I, 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 I figure that there are all these titters and giggles on the set. when they were, We're going to say fuck today in Star Trek. We're gonna, really, shouldn't we have had boobs and ass? Really? <laughs> really? I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it, it, Star Trek has always been a family property. And to, to an extent, yes, of, of course, it's had PG-13 films. They've had more mature subject matter and they've had profanity in the past. But the F-bomb is that one thing, right? Yeah. It's the it's the undiscovered country um, of Star <laughs> Trek in that it is, right. uh, you know, it, it feels to me like doing that. You know, parents are watching Discovery with their, I would imagine, parents would be watching Discovery with their kids because it's a Star Trek show. And, you know, if yeah. you're, and, and they may, I don't know, and maybe that's an antiquated way of looking at it. Maybe kids don't give a crap about Star Trek anymore. But if you're watching it with your child and you come across two F-bombs in a row. <laughs> well, think about it. I mean, I watched Star Trek with my dad. Um and you know, it wasn't like Star Trek was around when he was a kid, so it wasn't something that he had. But it was generational. I watched it with my dad. That was something that he and I could both watch. Um, I am sure that there are, there are people who grew up on Star Trek, either being next generation or original series, who are now uh, introducing their kids. And they're thinking that it's safe to introduce my kids to this because it was family-friendly when, when I was watching it. Yeah. Um, now, that said, I, I this isn't the hill I want to die on, right? No. Um Ultimately, I think the question comes down to, did it add anything to the show? And I don't think it did. I don't. You could have said frickin'. You could have said frickin' and gotten the exact same point across. I think that the moment, I, I feel like the, the kernel of truth for the character in that moment was that this is so cool, right? I don't think the word fuck 
as much as I enjoy that word, mm-hmm. I don't think it added anything there. I don't think it brought anything additional to that moment. And I think I, I think that she could have sold that moment by just laughing and going, this is so cool. And then checking herself going, sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, be inappropriate. And, and then that's when, when the other guy goes, no, you're right. This is so cool. That was the honest moment, not the addition of yeah. word fuck. No, and again, that just for, I have just a trem- to do it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Just to be, we we had our first moment. You know, the original series had their first moment of uh, of an interracial kiss. We'll have our first moment of saying fuck in a Star Trek franchise. Yeah, those two are the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Paul. Yes, sir. I gotta say, I rather enjoyed uh, the uh, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Um, I feel like these episodes are getting better and better. Um, and when it moved over to uh, this week's episode, Choose Your Pain, which, you know, showed us uh, Harcourt Fenton Mud, Harry Mud, uh, from uh, the original series shows, um, I, I gotta say, I kind of liked it. I mean, I, I do feel like these shows are getting a lot better. Um I still have issues. I, mean, I certainly have issues with the way the Klingons look. Uh, but uh, I, I think the, these shows are telling better stories. And I agree. I think I genuinely have to separate myself from seeing it as a Star Trek. And and yeah. and I, I am totally okay with different interpretations of my media. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm totally okay with yeah. different interpretations of Superman or Batman or, you know, it's okay if you reboot Spider-Man. I don't care, you know, as long as it's good. But for me, this is, to my understanding, trying to directly tie in with a content with a fifty-year-old continuity, and so trying to do that um, in in a more in an environment that directly contradicts the things that they are trying to interweave into their storyline, like Harry Mud, or their their the the title of next week's episode um, seems like it's a reference to another original series um, character. You know, there there are. A number of things that, and you know, they mentioned Christopher Pike. They mentioned, um, Archer. oh yeah, that was, yeah, that, that was that was a a, a nice scene. Yeah, it was you know, where uh, Saru goes into you know he is acting captain because uh, Captain Lorca has been captured by the Klingons, and he goes in and tells the computer he's like, hey, tell me you know, give me a list of the 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 most decorated Starfleet captains, and you know, so it shows Robert April who, if you're not familiar with it, is in uh, Star Trek lore, was the first captain of the Enterprise. He was the captain before Captain Pike. Um, Never appeared on screen, never mentioned, I believe, in the original series, but he was mentioned in the animated series and was one of the names that uh, Roddenberry was kicking around for his captain. I mentioned Christopher Pike, uh, Jonathan Archer, Matt Decker, who you'll remember from the the original series episode, The Doomsday Machine, and his son uh, uh, was also in Star Trek The Motion Picture. He was uh, Commander Decker, first officer of the Enterprise in, in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And then, uh, what was the last one? Christopher Pike, right? Yeah. Was that the last one? So, well, you know, Archer, it, yeah. It, and Archer, yeah, Jonathan Archer, and and uh, you know, so you had oh, and Giorgio was listed on there as well. But one of the interesting things, Paul, I, I've just finished reading the first Star Trek Discovery novel. That uh, this came out the same week as the first episode, and it was written by David Mack 
And uh, I don't know if you recall or not, Paul, but this was the book that was announced when you and I were at uh, Star Trek Mission New York, uh, the the uh, Star Trek convention that we went to last year. Um, that he was given tremendous latitude in the writing of this book. In fact. Star Trek is doing something brand new with this set of novels and that it is that they are in continuity. These are canon books for the for the show. So this story takes place a year before the events of the first episode of Star Trek Discovery and it's right when Michael Burnham gets uh, promoted to XO. And in this book we get to see her run the, the the crew of the Shinzu meet uh, the crew of the USS Enterprise under Christopher Pike, and you would think that the, some of this stuff is is stuff that they would save for the show, but they have all of this dialogue between her and Spock, and actually have a mind meld, uh, and you get to find out all these things that happened in uh, Michael Burnham's life. It's really rather a, a fascinating book, and the whole time I was just stunned at how much they revealed in the pages of this book that they haven't saved for the show. Interesting. So is it addressed the Spock yeah. uh, Burnham uh, brother sister relationship? Yeah, and how much they disliked each other and envied each other growing up, each thinking that uh, the other got more attention and affection from uh, Amanda and Sarek than the other got. And you know, then finding that neither one of them was, you know, uh, you know truly, uh, you know, neither one of them was, was getting the, the love and affection from Sarek that the other thought they were getting. Um, but yeah, I talked all about that. And it's, it's actually, I, I have to say, I was very surprised because I expected this to be one of those kind of books that, that just teased a lot about what was going to come in the series. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. I mean, yeah, the, it's, it's certainly, you know, queuing things up, but the book addresses a lot of stuff. And like I said, I was really surprised at how much they, they dug into uh, what happened between Spock and uh, Michael as they were growing up. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and I won't give any spoilers because the book is so new. But uh, it was good. It was, I, 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 I'm not sure that I would highly recommend it, but in terms of uh, of uh, Star Trek books on a scale of one to five, I'd give it a four. It was, it was, it was hmm. good and, and surprising. And I like David Mack. He, he's a good writer, and, and uh, I have enjoyed many of his Star Trek novels. Uh, this was entertaining. It's worth your read. So, you know, uh, to what you said earlier, I have found that I have, en- I have I am enjoying the series more and more. Um, I'm enjoying episode. I enjoyed episode four. I enjoyed episode five. Yes, I have issues connecting it with the world of Star Trek that I know. If I if I can remove myself from that world and look at this, quite frankly, this feels more like a Battlestar Galactica show, which we I think we said in our yeah. first episode. Um, yeah, I enjoy it a lot more because, quite frankly, a lot of the same topics are are topics that we saw in Battlestar Galactica. A lot of the same themes. Even a little bit of the same filming style. Um, you know, a major character is killed in episode four, which is kind of something that happened a lot in Battlestar Galactica. You didn't know who was going to die, who was going to live. And I'm wondering if we're kind of setting ourselves up for, you know, you don't know who's going to die in, in Star Trek Discovery. And that, that brings an added layer of excitement. And I think that was the intention of killing Landry in episode four. No, I agree. I, I think that... Uh that uh, it does bring a level of excitement. It's one of the things that I think people like so much about The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones. You don't get attached to people because they don't stick around. Yeah. 
And so that's what that's what this show is. This is Star Trek by way of Game of Thrones, by way of Battlestar Galactica, by way of Walking Dead. It's not yeah. it's not the Star Trek I know and love as a property. Right. Um, it's a different interpretation of Star Trek. Um, but that being said, with each episode getting better and better, and finally me getting to know some of the characters, um, you know, my issue with the first couple of episodes is we pretty much only knew the captain and Michael, but now we're getting to know the doctor. We're getting to know the engineer. We're getting to know, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and I feel like I should know his character, Saru. Um, (laughs) we're getting to know him and now we have this Saru, the first officer. Yes, Saru. Yeah. Yep. Saru. Saru. Um, yeah. And so, and you know, now we have this this new guy uh, coming on the ship. Um, mysteriously, Tyler. he was Tyler. So you know, I, I'm curious to see what his character is. Like he he seems a little too good to be true. I right. feel like it's a trap. <laughs> it does feel like a trap. So, Aaron, next week the title of the episode is, uh, and I'm I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly. Leth, Leth, L E T H E. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that word is. So the 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 name or the word Leth, Leth, um, is is it could be a reference to a character of the same name who was in the original series episode Dagger of the Mind. Um, that episode had Captain Kirk and Doctor Null beaming down to check out a Federation rehab colony on the planet Tantalus Five only to discover yeah. terrible mind experiments being performed on the inmates, and one of the former mental patients was a woman named Laith, played by Suzanne Watts- Wasson. So perhaps this is a prequel to that episode of some sort. Well, you know, Paul, I, I believe what, what's going to happen then is you will forget all that you have heard to remember any portion, any word will cause you pain, terrible pain. I, I feel like that's a reference to another property. <laughs> no, that's from that's from that episode. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's the it's the little machine that they that they that they you know put their heads in to remember any portion, any word will cause you pain, terrible pain. Well, look at you with the original series references. I t- uh. <laughs> Bam! That's why Aaron's on the show. That's why his name's first. That's right, OG Trek man. OG <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, uh, you know we we appreciate all the comments that you guys have been leaving us. We read everyone. We enjoy everyone. Please keep them coming. Um, you know, talk back on this episode. We're going to continue through the end of this first half of the season. And whether or not we continue when Star Trek Discovery comes back in January is dependent on you and your feedback. Um, That's right. And th- yeah. we also love, we, if you want your voice to be heard on a future episode of Star Trek Discovery with Aaron and Polly, there's a phone number for that. 972-763-5903. That number, once again, is 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the show, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. Woo! So, Paul? Yes, sir. Have a good week. Live long and prosper. Yeah, do that thing. I'll do that. <laughs> Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 